a famous scientist and renowned atheist, Stephen Hawking, said, I believe the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. This leads me to the profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that I am extremely grateful. And then the well-known British comedian Jimmy Carr said, When I was a kid, I had an imaginary friend, and I used to think that he went everywhere with me. And that I could talk to him, and that he could hear me, and that he could grant me wishes and stuff. And then I grew up, and I stopped going to church. And these are quotes from two men who do not believe in the existence of God. They even mock God in a way, especially the comedian there, because they don't have any regard for him. In their worldviews, they don't believe in him. They actually think he's a myth. That's what those two quotes reveal. And you might be thinking here, and especially if you're a believer, that you completely disagree with the sentiment behind those quotes. And I would agree with you. If you're a believer here, that's, that's the case. In theory, at least. But sometimes in practice, we act practically in a way that those gentlemen spoke in their quotes with a complete disregard of God. And I say that even about the best of Christians There are times when we act as if God doesn't exist, as if he's a fairy tale. And I think, and I would suggest that the the way that that's most revealed in our lives is when we have a kind of hand-wringing fear and anxiety and worry about the future. And our text this morning that we will be looking at is about this very topic. It's Jesus on anxiety from the Sermon on the Mount. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. We'll read through verse 34. We're going to observe from this text three things, three headings. The command of Jesus as it relates to anxiety. And number two, the reason that Jesus gives that we ought not to be anxious. And then number three, the solution that Jesus gives in light of anxiety. What what do we do instead? So really, it's the what, the why, and the how of anxiety. What, What exactly is anxiety? Why? Why shouldn't I be anxious? And then how? How do I live instead of being anxious? That's what we'll see in our text today. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So let's get right into it. The command of Jesus here in this text. Jesus commands us in this text not to be anxious. Now, just to catch you up a little bit in the context of this passage, I mentioned that this was the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, if you flip back a few pages, starts in chapter 5. We're already well into chapter 6 here. And so uh, we serve a great Savior, don't we? That you got this one sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that has thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons preached by different pastors throughout the history of the church, right? Great Savior. But he commands us here. He commands us not to be anxious. Look with me in your Bibles. First, to verse 19 and 20 for the context. Right before our text that we just read. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then verse 24, also for context, is that famous passage that says that no one, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. That's right before our passage in verse 25. And it's no coincidence, right, that the topic of of money is right before this extended discussion on the topic of anxiety, right? Because we, it's tied together, money and anxiety in a lot of ways. We all struggle with being overly concerned and anxious about various things, don't we? We worry about money and provision of our families and 
We worry about those bills, don't we? We worry about our health and longevity. How long will I, I last? Well, the disease that, that, that affected my parents, is that going to affect me as well? We worry about what, how we look and what we will wear. We worry about survival and, and, and if we will sustain to be able to eat, right? And some more in other countries than others. We worry about shelter, right? Where we will live and if we can even sustain the mortgage or the rent for the place that I live. We worry about our children and all of their complexities. Their education and their sports and the way that they're affecting your personality when they're out of control. I mean, your reputation when they're out of control, right? If they're older, maybe they've strayed from the faith and maybe they don't have a profession of faith. You worry about them for those things. We worry about our children. We worry about our spouse and in many, many different ways. We've all been there. We worry about our job and our coworkers and our bosses. We worry about uh, transportation and if the car is going to work next week. We worry about our things and our stuff, our possessions. Not just the poor worry, not people without worry, but also people with much worry too because they got a lot of stuff that they can lose. So they worry about all their stuff. We worry about our reputation. We worry about the weather. We worry about politics. We worry about world relations and the potential of war. And this is just the beginning of the list. And then we come here to verse 25. And Jesus tells us not to be anxious. And we wonder, is he living in the world that we are living in? Well, up front, we have to consider, rather appropriately, the nature of what exactly anxiety is for us to be able to work through exactly what Jesus is commanding us here. So here, the command that Jesus gives us is seen in multiple verses in this text. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than Clothing, And then verse 31, a few verses down, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He's repeating himself in this, in this section here. And then also in verse 34, he says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So he tells us not to be anxious. Well, what is anxiety? Well, anxiety, being anxious, worrying, is this, this paralyzing concern, this over-concern and worry and fear about things in the future, really things that are outside of your control anyways. We worry about these things. It's an over-concern. It's this burden that we have about the future. And to clarify here, Jesus isn't telling us to not have any concern whatsoever, if you are in a state or if you've ever lived in a state where tornado sirens go off, it is not a sin for you to be concerned, but a natural response to a rather alarming situation when you hear those alarms. We are not to be mindless people who just kind of go with the flow and 
who cares? I don't care about anything. I've got no worry in the world. I got, I got nothing to be concerned about. You know, the kind of 60s mentality, uh, a worldview that just says, I'm just going to just go, just go with it, right? People in other states wrongly stereotype all Californians of this like laid back surfer mentality. Who cares? I'm having a good time. I can just go to the beach tomorrow. Jesus isn't telling us to have that perspective, this carelessness, this, this kind of uh, closing my eyes and plugging my ears to the realities around me. That's not what he's calling us towards in this text. Well, how do I know that? How do I know that? Look with me in your Bibles to verse 32. Verse 32, I will start at 31. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Our great father knows that we have needs. It's not like we just ignore the needs. It's not like needs are a problem, right? The text is not revealing that. If God knows that we have these great needs, right, it's not that we have needs or recognize needs in that way. That's not the problem. The problem is what we do in light of those needs, how we relate to those needs, right? Or or rather, what we allow those needs to do to us. More on that a little later. Well, how, how else? Is there any other evidence here to help clarify? It's important. Verse 34 also helps clarify some things for us. Verse 34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is realistic here. He knows that today there are troubles, there are problems, there are things and responsibilities that I have to do. It's not just this let go and go with the flow and who cares and I don't have a care in the world. I mean, just an ignorance of everything around you, not what Jesus is saying here. However, this is a command. This is a command of Christ. Jesus tells us not to be anxious here. It's a command. And if we disobey that command, we will be sinning. So those of us who are anxious are in sin when we are anxious. It's not a suggestion. It's not, it would be nice if you were anxious about tomorrow. No, it's a command and it's actually a serious sin. It's the sin of unbelief. When you act more like Stephen Hawking's in this irreverent comedian in your lifestyle, if you mimic the words that they say in your anxiety by just completely forgetting that God exists and so worried and not considering God, then you're acting more like an atheist than you are a believer. That's a sin. Jerry Bridges, a famous Christian author, wrote a book titled Respectable Sins. We all know the scandalous sins. Murder, adultery, theft, and then you can add to the list the scandalous sins. But Jerry Bridges talks about those respectable sins, and one of them being anxiety. It's one of those ones where if everyone just confessing sin together, it'd just be like, oh, I'm just a little anxious sometimes, and everybody could just like, no one even thinks about it because, oh, that's just normal, right? It's a respectable sin. No, sin is sin. 
Jesus is commanding us something here. He doesn't want us to act like the unbeliever. So this is a command of Christ for us not to be anxious. We aren't to be like the atheists or the unbeliever or the Gentiles, so consumed of worry and fear and anxiety of the unknown as if God doesn't exist. We ought not to be like that, but we should live in light of God and who he is, and we should live in light of this command of Christ. But you may be thinking at this point, again, what about my world? What about my situation? You don't know what I'm going through. Who are you, preacher, to tell me not to be anxious? Or even, who are you, Jesus, to tell me not to be anxious? You don't know my situation. I've got a million and one reasons to be anxious. I've, I've, come on now. Come on. Be real with me here. And that leads us to our next point. The reason. We looked at the what? what. What is anxiety? Now we look at the reason. Why? Why ought I not be anxious? Now, get this. For those of you who may struggle with this teaching of Christ because of the realities of the world, we serve a great and gracious Savior. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious, deal with your problems, forget about it, I could care less about what you're going through. Just obey my command. No, he gives reasons. How gracious is that? He tells us, don't be anxious, but then he tells us why we're not to be anxious. That is a blessing of the Lord. So number two here, the reason. The reason we're not supposed to be anxious is because Jesus tells us that God will care for our needs. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Reason number one why you shouldn't be anxious is because you are more value, valuable than birds. If he feeds the birds, if he cares for the birds, and you're way more valuable than those birds, how much more is he going to care for you? That's a great reason. And don't get me wrong here, this does not entail at all that we should not work hard to provide for our families. For certainly the bird does not open up its mouth to the heavens and then God drops down the the worm into its beak and then it eats. That's just not how it works. The bird goes around and gets food in various ways, but in all those ways in which the bird is getting food, the scriptures reveal that God is providing for the bird. And in the same way in our situation, all those ways that we work hard to provide for our families and such, many different means and by which we do that here in our, in our church, it is that God is providing for us ultimately. God is caring for us. This is not a sermon about being lazy. In fact, in another text of scripture, the Bible says if, if, if someone is unwilling to work, he is unwilling to eat. Not He's probably willing to eat, but he shouldn't even eat. He doesn't have that responsibility. The point being, work is a part of the Christian worldview and life and 
and ethic. We discussed that in our Bible study this morning in the book of Genesis. So reason number one, more valuable than birds. Reason number two, read with me in verse 27. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Which of you? Raise your hand if you could add an hour, a second, a day, a year by being anxious about anything. Jesus knows how it works. Jesus is the wise savior. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus knows how life works. In fact, reason number two, if you're anxious, it's only gonna hurt you. It's gonna destroy you. It's bad for you. It's not going to help you at all. That's what Jesus tells us in verse 27. Very wise. I, was, I read just yesterday, I came across this article on WebMD about the effects of anxiety, physical effects of anxiety on, on our bodies and on our health. And so I'm going to read a few quotes here from this article to you to let you know what the doctors are saying about this whole anxiety and worry thing. They write, and I quote, when worrying becomes excessive, it can lead to feelings of high anxiety and even cause you to be physically ill. They go on later. Your mind and body go into overdrive as you constantly focus on what might happen. Excessive worriers may see anything and anyone as a potential threat. Many people who worry excessively are so anxiety-ridden that they seek relief in harmful lifestyle habits such as overeating, cigarette smoking, or alcohol and drugs. And you can add to that list. They go on and say, people with high anxiety have difficulty shaking their worries. When that happens, they may experience actual physical symptoms. Here are some of the symptoms that they list. Difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headache, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle Tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling, and twitching. They say that the chronic anxiety and outpouring of stress hormones can have serious physical consequences as well. Not just symptoms, but serious, serious physical consequences. And they list suppression of the immune system. Digestive disorder, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, premature coronary artery disease, and even a heart attack. So when Jesus says in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life, he was pretty perceptive there, right? That it's just going to hurt you. It's just going to hurt you. So that's reason number two. Reason number three, let's look together at verses 28 through 31. Reason number three of why we aren't to be anxious. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, 
how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So reason number three, you are more valuable than flowers. So if you're more valuable than the birds and you're more valuable than flowers, then that leads us even to verse 32 and reason number four. For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Reason number four, God knows every one of your needs even before you open up your mouth to tell him. You don't have to seek about earthly cares in life because your gracious heavenly father knows that you need them. And let me tell you, he's the best father that there ever was. He knows about your job. He knows about those bills. He knows about your kids. He knows about those relationship issues. He knows about your life. He knows your needs. And praise God for that. Imagine my wife Stacy was out of town and I had full control of all the kids. I had all four of them. We've got four children and one on the way. And mom was going to be out of town. Now, just to be clear up front, this doesn't happen very often. Uh, It happens a couple times and certainly when mom leaves, there's some concerns certainly for the kids and I would understand if they were a little skeptical about dad's competency to know where all the clothes were exactly and know exactly the best way to feed them and uh, know exactly the best way to put them to bed and things like that. And let me tell you, I am competent in those things but not as good as my wife, Stacy. So it would be understandable if my, wife, my kids were a little concerned about this whole mom leaving thing, but I say that as a joke, kind of. But imagine if my kids came to me and they said, Dad, I'm, I'm really, really concerned that you're not gonna feed me that PB&J that I was looking for, or the pizza. Or... I'm really concerned I'm really concerned that I'm not going to have a bed to lay my head on. I'm not going to have shelter. I'm concerned that we're going to have to sleep out on the streets. Could you imagine my kids saying that to me? And you know what? I I don't even know if I'm going to have clothes the next few days. I'm so concerned that I'm going to have clothes on my back. So I'm even going to take the dirty clothes that I've wore. I'm going to to crumble them up and I'm going to put them under my pillow because I don't know if I'm going to get new clothes the next day. I'm so concerned. I don't even know if I'm going to have clothes our kids said that to us, it would break our hearts, wouldn't it? But that's the way that we act when we get anxious and hand-wringing fear and worry and anxiety about all the needs of our life. That's the way that we act towards our great heavenly 
Father. Consider Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. It could be on the same page that you're at right now. Next chapter over. Matthew 7 and verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Us humans compared to a heavenly father, a holy God, we are but evil in comparison. If for the most part, humans take care of the needs of their kids, how much more our heavenly father will care for us? He gives us reasons. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God. Jesus Christ for these reasons because we live in a crazy, hectic, busy world, every one of us. There's so much to be anxious about. There's so much to worry about. And I'm thankful for our gracious Savior and Lord and his words here and giving us direction on why we we ought not to be anxious as believers. But now that we've looked at Jesus' command... And then we even looked at some reasons that Jesus gives us regarding anxiety. Now we are brought to our final point in number three of the solution. Instead of being anxious, Jesus directs our focus away from our anxious cares and towards the kingdom of God. This right here in verse 33 is the climax of our passage. Everything is building towards this. Jesus gives us the how here, or the solution regarding anxiety. So listen up. We, we heard why. But now we're going to look to how. What's the solution in all of this? Jesus, what is it? Look with me at verse 33, and let's read it together. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, you may be thinking at this point and doing some good old-fashioned pew prophecy, pew uh, setting the stage, expectation. you're anticipating what I'm going to say next. You're sitting there and you're like, I know where he's going here. I heard it my whole life. I've heard it on the radio from radio preachers. I've heard it growing up. I know what he's going to tell me here. You may be thinking at this point that I'm going to tell you to be a good Christian and a good Christian and do the good Christian things, and then God will take care of your needs, just as you were told when you were a little one, if you, if you grew up in the church. If you just do a bunch of good things, and if you're just a really good Christian boy or girl, then God's going to take care of your needs. So just do that, and then he'll care for you. But if you don't do that, then he's not going to care for you. You may be anticipating that. And I could see why you might, because many, many preachers will preach that exact same message from this exact same passage. Maybe you have even heard it in the past. But I'm not going to teach you that this morning. That's not what the, reve- the passage reveals to us. This is not an if then proposal as some say that it is. If you seek after God, then he will care for you. If you do not seek after God and his kingdom, then he will not care for you. Back to the illustration with my kids. Imagine if I told my kids, 
You are only going to get the PB&J if you obey every one of my commands and if you're exactly perfect and if there are no fightings or no issues. I mean, you just got to be perfect. If you do that, you're going to get the sandwich. You're going to get the food. But if you don't, if you you fail to do that, you're sleeping outside. In fact, you better be saving up lots of clothes because there's no new clothes coming. And the clothes that you have stockpiled underneath your pillow, I'm going to come in there and just take them from you. You'd think I was a pretty terrible dad, wouldn't you? Sadly, many people think of God that way. And let me tell you that is a destructive and damnable heresy. It's a works-based mentality of relating to God. But let me just tell you, that is not how the God of the Bible relates to sinful men and women. If he dealt with us that way, no one would deserve anything, let alone the clothes on our back. Consider the book of Romans in chapters 4 and 5. The Bible reveals that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, the Father sent his Son. While we were unlovable, he provided for our greatest need and gave us the greatest gift by sending his Son as a sacrifice for our sins. It's not that he looked at us and everything was good and then he rewarded us with what we deserve. No, he gave us what we didn't deserve in a gracious way. He looked at us in all of our sin and the dirty nature of who we were and he sent his son to die for us. So rid yourself right now of this if-then thinking about God. It is going to destroy you. In fact, I would guess that that is probably, if this is you, if this is your struggle to relate to God in this way, this is probably your number one greatest source of anxiety in your life. Because human beings were never meant to, ever meant to, in ever in the history of the world, we were never meant to relate to God in that way. We were never meant to be able to earn our way salvation for ourselves. We were never meant to because we never were able to. We were incapable. We were dead. We were unable. So turn away from that thinking and abandon that. Let's look again at verse 33 then and see what it actually says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This passage, this verse, this whole section It's everything about us and our priorities and what we should do instead of worrying and being anxious. This is the point. Don't be anxious. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like an atheist. Don't be like an unbeliever, right? Who worries about all those things? Unbelievers, all they worry about is those worldly needs, right? That's all they really worry about. Don't be like that, he says. There's nothing in this text or this passage about earning anything from God. We seek the kingdom, or we should seek the kingdom. And you know what? God will take care of providing for us. He'll take care of the rest. You're not going to add anything by being anxious about it, worrying about it. No, God is going to, he's going to care for you. He already knows your needs before you even ask him. Still ask him, pray, ask him, but he already knows your needs. The point here is that we ought to set our priorities straight to be focusing on the kingdom of God, to be focusing on what matters most, what's priority. What matters most is not all your needs and anxieties that you're worried about. What matters most is the kingdom of God. 
So preach the gospel to your unbelieving family members and friends. Live your life for his glory. Seek to grow in sanctification, which is just growing to be more and more like Christ. Be living in light of the kingdom day by day. Don't be distracted by all these other anxieties that that the Gentiles deal with. That's what this text is about. That is the point. So instead of worrying about next month or next year or, or even tomorrow, Put your energy into prioritizing what matters most, and that is God's kingdom going forth, like I said, through sinners like you and me being saved and sanctified. Focus on these things, not on the anxieties that so easily entangle you. So now, in in conclusion, look with me one more time at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God, let me tell you, Christian, is caring for you through your trials now. So trust him today. Trust him with them today. And let me tell you also and remind you again that there is kingdom work to be done Today, So quit wasting your time being anxious and worried about tomorrow and next year and next month or what have you. Trust him today because let me tell you, he cares for you. And there's only so many hours in the day and there's so much for us to be actually doing as Christians. Let's focus on those things that we ought to be doing and let's put aside all the distractions and anxieties that that tie us up. Jesus doesn't tell us to ignore the problems of the day. He actually even said, you're going to have problems today. So worry about those now. Live now. Trust me now. Focus on the kingdom now. And cast all your cares and anxieties on me. Because I will care for you. That's what God reveals to us in this text. So let me tell you, brothers and sisters, don't live And act like an atheist. Trust God with your life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount, everything that Jesus taught us. I ask, Lord, that you would help us all. Help us to trust in you. Help us to lay our anxieties and burdens and cares, whatever they are, however difficult they are, on you. Help us to know the reasons and believe the reasons, not just in our minds know them, but help us live those things. Oh God, we ask for your help because we know none of this happens without your help. We say this in Christ's name, amen.